This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hi guys, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my illustrious co-host, Tyler Hurley. Illustrious. Do you like that? Have you ever been described as illustrious? I think you have before. That's probably it, yeah. Well, that's probably where I got it. That's, (laughs) I mean, this is a new compliment to me. I mean, right back at you. I think you're illustrious. Thanks. There you go. Thank you very much. Well, it's good that we're both illustrious, and we're both here, (laughs) and we're ready to talk today about being cultural revolutionaries. Yes. This This is going to be cool. important. It is very important. Yep. Now, before we get there, and actually before we get to our coffee tip of the day, I want to give a shout out to Kristen Zarlango. She commented on our Facebook post about the homework that we gave out last week. Mm-hmm. You remember last week we talked about uh, context and how we've got to study the Bible in context. And so we put out this challenge to people to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 and to ask what is Paul saying In context, what does he mean by repentance? Who is this letter written to? Those are important questions when we're trying to interpret what Scripture says. Mm -hmm. So I want to read the passage really quick, and then I want to read what Kristen told us uh, her homework showed her. All right? That sounds great. So here's 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. The Apostle Paul says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So the big question is, is what is he talking about here? Repentance, salvation. What do these words mean in this context? And here's what Kristen said. She said, okay, 2 Corinthians is a letter Paul wrote to the Christian church in Corinth. So she identifies them as Christians. You see that? Mm, That's right. You know, what's interesting is if you go up to the end of chapter 6, he he says, uh, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Yes, so that establishes audience, right? That's what we talked about. Meaning they're believers, Mm -hmm. right? Yep, exactly. So so Kristen, you got it. They are the Christian church at Corinth. She says it's a cosmopolitan city where it'd be hard to live as Christians. Completely true. And if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, they weren't that great at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The church was having growing pains and was confused by false teachers, but it seemed they were really trying to follow Paul's teaching. Paul apparently sent them a letter of rebuke, which is lost. This is true, and this gets back to the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul talks about a sorrowful letter he wrote to them, Mm -hmm. and he says, I didn't want to send it, and I kind of felt bad about sending it, but then when Titus came back with the report of how you responded to my rebuke, it made me glad. And then he says our verses, not because you were sorrowful, I was glad that you were sorrowful to the point where you repented, which leads to salvation. Mm-hmm. So these are Christians who repented. Well, repent means change of mind. So they changed their mind about how they were viewing Paul and what they thought of him and these weird teachings that they were hearing from others. And they changed their mind in that perspective. And then he says it results in salvation. Okay, so let's see what Kristen says she thinks this is meaning. So repent here means to change the physical acts and behavior of whatever was out of line with being in union with God. Their change led them away from sin and resulted in salvation, which in this case seems to mean being restored back into a relationship of harmony with God and thriving spiritual life. 
I think that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. It's not talking about how you get saved. These are already saved people. He's mm-hmm. talking about repenting of sin that they had in their life, and that's why he sent them this rebuke. And he's glad they felt bad about his rebuke because it made them change their mind about what they'd been doing, which led them to salvation, which a key aspect of salvation is sanctification, right? Yeah. Growing right. in our walk with the Lord, being conformed to the image of Christ. So great job, Chris, and that is exactly what Paul's yes. saying here. We don't want to use this verse to point to people as like a, a way to evangelize, to get people people saved. Yeah, right. This is two Christians about Christian living. Yeah, well done at creating uh, a good overview of the context of the passage. Like, I think that she did a fantastic job. You really did a fantastic job, Kristen. Thanks so much for that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So... We are Christ Culture and Coffee, which means we do have a coffee tip for you guys today. Yeah, we don't just drink it. We, we talk it. Talk it. <laughs> yes, that's so true. So this one's a little bit interesting. I actually had a completely different coffee tip for you guys before I stumbled upon this. I was originally searching Google to find coffee recipes for pumpkin spice latte or peppermint mocha mm-hmm. because... We're approaching the holiday season, and around this time, people like the Christmassy type of drinks, right? Yeah. The flavor of the month or whatever yeah. is what's happening. And so I went online to go and find a recipe to share with you guys to make that at home, but it turns out Starbucks actually gives the entire recipe list for all of those drinks on their website. Really? I yeah, didn't know that. I had no idea. And it's a separate link. It's called specifically athome.starbucks.com, which that was shocking to me because I had no idea they just made this publicly available. Yeah. But if you go on the website, you can scroll through. They'll have all of these drinks. They even have like a pumpkin spice latte on there. You can click on it and it'll list the ingredients for you. That's crazy. So you can make it at home. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I like it's, that a, idea. it's a great way to save money. If you are someone who is a frequent coffee drinker and you like to purchase those expensive holiday drinks, mm-hmm. uh, or, or if you don't want to put in the work, I mean, that's sometimes when convenience comes into factor and you just sure. go in and you buy it. But if you're trying to save some money, I think it's a good idea to make it at home. And that's a perfect easy example of a way that you can save money and bring Starbucks into your own kitchen. Yeah, that's great. Sometimes you get the ratios wrong on certain drinks and just yeah, taste good. yeah, it's yeah. True. This is a good way to have quality assurance. At yeah, your house. it's true. Because if you if you have uh, sometimes it's not with every coffee shop, but you'll get depending on who the um, barista is, they can tend to mess up your drink on mm-hmm. one aspect or another. Yeah. So if you really want to have your own quality assurance with your own cup of coffee, go online to Starbucks's website and you can get their recipes. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good coffee tip. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the the topic of the day, um, being cultural revolutionaries. Yes. Revolutionaries, Tyler. Yes. That's the big word, revolutionary. That's yeah. what we're going to be focusing on today. So uh, the big part of this, one of the bigger parts of this that we want to be focusing on is what scripture says. Absolutely. What does scripture tell us to, how does scripture tell us to live? What does it tell us to do? Yes. How can we impact culture, right? Christ culture and coffee. Yeah. What do we do? That's what we're about. Yeah. And so the Bible specifically tells us several ways that we can do this. Now, now to start with that, 
obviously the Bible says that we are to live at peace with others. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. no shocker there. Right. I don't think you would believe them that they said, uh, someone came up to you and said, Oh, the Bible is demands that we, uh, we divide, we, we create separation. Yeah, like, no. yeah. No, 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 People, if you read the Bible, you see clearly that we are called to live at peace with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 12, 18 through 19 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So that's pretty clear. Yeah. As much as is possible up to you, which means sometimes it won't be because people don't want to live at peace. Sure. But as much as you can, live at peace with people that you're around. Be peaceable. Be a peaceable person with all, it says. So yeah, the Bible says we are supposed to live at peace with others. Yeah. And that also in that passage means, uh, says to not seek vengeance, right? Because Mm -hmm. vengeance is to the Lord. So that's also something we need to take into account and think through. Uh, And then also another passage I want to read was Matthew 5, 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers Mm. for they shall be called sons of God. So, so there's a blessing that comes along with being a peacemaker and someone who doesn't seek vengeance, right? Yeah. God wants this type of person. Yeah, yeah. This is who he wants us to be. I think it's pretty straightforward. So we can see through this that the Bible tells us to live at peace with others. Yep. And I think there's some Christians who are very good at that. Yeah, Um, yeah. Now, there's this other side of the coin when we look at Scripture, and it tells us uh, to stand for truth, to give a defense, and to not cave into culture. Right. So we see, uh, obviously, the most famous apologetics verse ever, 1 Peter 3.15, right? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. So we need to be ready to defend our faith. We need to be ready and have a reasoned case to tell people about why we have hope in Jesus. So we're supposed to give a defense. Romans 12.2 tells us, do not be conformed to this Mm. world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's that's great. So don't conform. That's what it's saying. Do not be molded. That's that's what the word means Mm -hmm. in in Greek. Molded in. Don't be Plato malleable in the mold of the world. Yeah, I I think that's great. And you know what? This is, I think, the key question, because a lot of people will take these passages that we just read and try to kind of wrestle with them and think, okay, well, how do we, how do we balance the two? Right. Cause, cause there's well, also that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. How cause there's, there's the this two? cultural idea too. Uh, I mean, you've heard uh, like the idea of tolerance that's mm-hmm. kind of been switched around. It's like, uh, that's considered being a peacemaker by yes. the world's definition, right? Yeah. By just, you just accepting accept what everybody thinks or does. Yeah. But of yeah. course, obviously this passage says, do not be conformed to this world. So how do we balance out yep. uh, being a peacemaker while also not being conformed? See, and that's, that's the, the key. key. And I think that, I think that Christians typically fall into one of these two camps. They either are trying to be just a peacemaker. Yeah. And so they don't ever stand up for anything. They're just nice. Mm. Or they're not nice and they are very combative and they're very argumentative and they stand up for truth. And we shouldn't be either or. We should be both of those at the same time. But how do we go about doing that, right? That's the question. Mm. So a great book that I highly suggest all of our viewers and listeners uh, check out is this book right here. It's called Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World. It's by Tim Muehlhoff and Richard Lang. 
anger. And um, it is phenomenal about how you can impact culture um, and how Christians in the past have impacted culture through the methods that they chose to uh, take to the world and uh, take to their culture and evangelize mm-hmm. through. And so highly recommend you check this out. And, and today we're going to be talking about a, a few of the concepts that I've gleaned out of this book, um, which are just phenomenal. So the book talks about how as Christians, we need to be what they call counter publics, counter publics, right? And it's this idea that, well, what is a public? Yeah, Isn't that's, that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So, so what is what a public? That? Well, they talk about the, the public is the, the groups of people that are out there, that are in the marketplace, that have ideas, that talk about the important questions of life. Of course, There's yeah. this public. And there's typically strong publics and weak publics. And all that means is that the strong publics have the majority of people agreeing with them. They've got the popular uh, ideology behind them. Yeah. Uh, and a weak public is people who have a less popular ideology, but who want to influence the strong public with their counter ideas. So mm. I think in the book, he uses vaccines as a example. The, the, the popular, the, the big public, right, would be that vaccines are good for us. And then the weak public is a group of people who are saying, no, vaccines aren't good for human beings. And we have reasons why. And they try to influence this group through facts and arguments. So it's just, and they're not making any uh, suggestion on which is good. They're just saying this is an example we see in our culture. So as Christians, how do we act and how do we um, approach culture to be good Christian counter publics? Mm, That's the question of the book. And uh, I've read this a a while ago and I've reread parts of it and I've been thinking about it. And I came up with these three concepts that I think we see in the ideas of this book and in the ideas of scripture. Uh, And so we want to go through these three points that we'd love for you to remember and to think through in how you can influence culture, because I think these three things are phenomenally helpful for us. Yes. And so first off, the number one point that we want to make is that we are peacemakers, not hell raisers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I'm going to kind of expand a little bit on that. So change in the reference to the culture with what Robbie was saying, does not effectively happen uh, through rioting and violence. It has to be done peacefully, right? You have Typically, to, you yeah. have to come forward with people like you were saying with uh, with peaceful logic and facts, and that yeah. that's that's the right way that we should approach it because we're called to be peacemakers, yes, not hellraisers. Yep. Um, obviously, too, in uh, in this, we need to take time to reflect and to pray and contemplate before we react because mm-hmm. I think that that will help us a lot in our reaction when it comes to being a peacemaker that yes. way we don't just have an emotional uh kind of off the like off the chart reaction and burst in anger yeah typically i don't people. i don't think like uh, <laughs> my initial reaction is not typically reasoned and kind and no, gentle no. and respectful yeah yeah and so that's <laughs> my why initial reaction yeah, is of the flesh exactly right? exactly and that's why it's so important that we take time for reflection so we can contemplate these ideas before we go out and talk to others about them or approach them well and that's how peacemakers should go about this exactly right? yeah. yes yes and 
The problem, though, in the day and age of social media, it's kind of gets tough because that's that's like the marketplace where you have to a lot of times go. That's probably a good part of the public, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. yeah, that's the marketplace. Social media, YouTube, all these kinds of things. This is where people are going to gain information, to mm -hmm. debate ideas, to to talk about things, to counteract. Yeah. And so so it's tough in this day and age with social media because of actually the mechanism of the public marketplace. Yes, exactly. You were you were absolutely right about that and the the fact is is it's just it's kind of it gets difficult in that realm too sometimes because uh, if you don't conform to sometimes the cultural norms and things that are going on you you could almost get like chided if you don't have some sort of uh like statement that you post on your social media affirming a certain uh political idea yeah or uh, affirming uh like just a people group like you see that happening often mm -hmm. and now that doesn't mean that uh people are that you should be against those certain things or for it it just means that maybe you should take the approach of stick, sticking to reason mm -hmm. and grace and being a peacemaker in that realm yeah so often like yeah. something will happen in our culture and it's almost like if you don't immediately respond to what you think about this or which side you're on. Yeah, yeah. You're a horrible human being. It's like, and that's whoa, a, like wait, wait, can I take yeah. some time to just breathe a little and think about what is happening? Why do we have yeah, to be so reactionary? It's almost like a it's like a contest of who can respond first to bad things. It's so true. So weird. Yeah, and with that kind of culture mentality of needing to immediately share your opinion on something, it doesn't give you the opportunity to sit back no. and contemplate, okay, what should I actually be saying about this, right? Yeah. So, so that's what we're trying to drive home with you guys here is you need to be patient and you need to think through these things. So all we're doing through, not, not everything, but sure. typically social media lends itself to only people's reactions. Well, yeah, yeah. Not to well-reasoned, thought-out Ideas. Yeah, yeah, and now there are a few. There are actually quite a few people out there who I know who, thankfully, they they do. I I feel take that approach where they they contemplate, yeah, think about it, slow down. Yeah, sure. but that's rare. You don't see that very yeah, much. Yeah, it is rare. And so the fact is, is we want to be focused on being peacemakers. If that's our goal, we should probably take our time and contemplate these things before we come out and make statements. Yes, uh, I think with that too, uh, um, is that Christians are told in James and commanded in James to, to think through these things. He says, uh, in James chapter one, 19 through 20, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so again, it's just taking the time to be slow to speak and contemplate your thoughts before you make a statement. I think that that's yeah. crucial in going about this. And this is what our culture is not doing right now. No, they're not. What what American culture says right now is if you've got a problem, you go and make your voice heard. You go and burn <laughs> yeah. stuff down. Yeah. You go and riot. You go and you protest and you and it goes, "Whoa, like I I don't know if that's the best approach." Um maybe sitting mm -hmm. down with my neighbor and talking through these ideas and uh, convincing him through kindness and through good reason and logic, not to be pro-choice is a better way to do it. Maybe if all of us were doing that, we could change things from, from the grassroots level versus, hey, let's go throw a fit and say how mad we are about everything. I just don't see that that approach really works in our culture. No, but that it, seems it to doesn't. be what everyone wants to do. Yeah, it's become it's kind of becoming a norm, honestly. Yeah, there's a, a protest for something all the time. Yeah, which means there's not really a protest for anything because it's just it's just all noise. 
<laughs> you know? And so I don't, I don't well, know if it even works. And if you think about even yeah. like Christianity, <clears throat> um, Christianity has spread and it's a, it's a, a message of love and hope in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's not based on military might. Well, yeah. Islam is. Christianity's <laughs> not, right? And so you even, even again, I, and I like America a lot, but you even go back to it, and we started as a group of revolters um, through might and strength. Yeah, that's true. And so that's yeah. that's in our DNA as a culture, and that's why I think you see when people say, oh, if we want something done, we've got to Protest raise hell— when as Christians, we're not hell raisers, we're peacemakers. Well, and I think that it's a really good point that you brought up, Robbie, too, about this idea of all these uh, riots or protesting being just noise. Because mm-hmm. really, if you think about it, the whole purpose of a protest is, is to cause people to stop and look and say, wait, why are people gathering? That's yeah, not This normal. must be a big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if... All that people are ever doing is gathering in large groups to protest everything. Then it becomes normal and you don't stick out. Yeah. You're just like everybody else. Yep. It's just true. It's just And it makes it impossible it, for any government or anybody to listen to everything that's being protested. Because yeah, it it comes to a point where if everybody's protesting, then it's all it all becomes just meaningless. Mm-hmm. It really does. So you have to find new ways to stick out. And we believe that this is the key is by going in the public square and being loving and pro- yep. providing sound logic and being a, yeah, being a peacemaker, not being a hell raiser. Yeah. And so I want to give an example of somebody in Christian history who did this and you all have heard of this guy, but I think the majority of you don't mm-hmm. know much about him. St. Patrick. Now, automatically when I say that, what comes to your mind? Irish, uh, yeah. Ireland, Guinness, Green Rivers in Chicago. I think a Lutheran satire video is a lot. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, sure. Yes, so Patrick. St. Patrick, <laughs> the Irish man. This is the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. It's going to blow people's minds. St. Patrick was British. Yeah. <gasps> I know. What? Shocking, right? No, wow. no. <laughs> the British steal everything, right? He was. <laughs> he, he was British. Now, here's here's the story of St. Patrick, the real St. Patrick. This guy really lived, and he has an amazing story. So, uh, around uh, 401 AD, so this is a long time Mm. ago, Patrick is uh, a, a young man, and he's in Britain, and these these Irish uh, longships pull up on shore, and they burn down his village. Yeah, basically yeah, Irish pirates, right? Vikings. Yeah, and they come in and they find him <laughs> amongst a bunch of rubble, and they abduct him, kidnap him, and take him back to Ireland with him. They sell him to this warlord who treats him horrible, and he's a slave for six years in Ireland. Mm. <laughs> yeah. As he's a slave, he's growing in his faith because really that's all he's got at that point, and he's trusting in Jesus and he's praying a lot. And then one day he escapes. And he gets on a ship, and he sails away to Gaul. He eventually goes to a monastery. He trains to become a priest. He's a priest for many years in England. But then he hears the Lord telling him, hey, I want you to go Mm. back to Ireland. No way! Are you kidding me? They are my abductors. They're abusers, man. And you want me to go back to that, those backwards, crazy, violent, mean people? No way. Does he, this sound familiar? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he listens. He yeah. goes. He goes. So St. Patrick, the British 
St. Patrick, goes back to Ireland into the land of the people who kidnapped him, burned down his village, harmed him in many ways. And he goes back to bring the gospel to these people. He didn't go and raise hell. Hmm. He didn't go and seek vengeance. He goes and does what he's supposed to do. Mm, Live at peace with all men and show kindness and love to your enemies. This is unbelievable. Yeah, and so what yeah. he does is he 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 takes some people with him and he goes and his his um methodology was he'd always go to the chieftain of the tribe, the head of the tribe, and he'd say, I want to talk to you about who Jesus is. And he would talk with them and they would often get converted. And then because the head of the tribe gets converted, it would trickle down and people would listen and they would go, okay, if, if he's convinced, maybe I should pay attention to the gospel. And so whole tribes are getting convinced of this. And then uh, yeah. they would build a monastery there, a Celtic monastery where they'd have all of these different farmers and they'd have all these different um, uh, um, craftsmen and it was like a good life inside the monastery and people would be like, I want a piece of that. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, nice. Right. Yeah. They're not just fighting with each other all the time over tribal warfare. This is good. And so he showed how harmony and peaceful living was a good thing, an attractive thing. And so people would be attracted to that. Then once that was going, he'd take off. He'd leave other people to run it. And to run the church. Yeah. And he'd say, I'm going to go do another one. And he'd go to another chieftain That's and he'd so start great. over. Yeah. And so you just see in St. Patrick this idea of a peacemaker when he had every right to seek vengeance and be a hellraiser. Oh, of course he did, yeah. But he, but he wasn't because he knew what scripture says. So point number one, we are to be peacemakers, mm-hmm. not hellraisers. If yeah. we want to be good counterpublics, <clears throat> if we want to make a difference in our culture. Yes. And now the next point we want to bring to you guys is we as Christians want to be bridge builders, not bridge burners. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's super crucial here. I mean, what we mean by this is uh, I think there's a good example that Paul gives in Mars Hill in Acts 17, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when Paul discussed with the philosophers there about the unknown God. Yeah. He, he came there and he saw this, like this altar that he, they had built because they had lots of gods, right? Mm-hmm. That they were worshiping out there. There was tons. In fact, they were so pagan that they even built an altar to the unknown God. Just in case. Like, like just in case we miss someone, may yeah. he not strike us down. Like, yeah. that's, like that's how pagan that they were. It's yep. that outrageous. And so he talked to them about this idea. He said, look, you worship all of these gods. I'm here to tell you about the unknown God, the one that you mm-hmm. built an altar to, right? The idea of counter-public shows that morality is not based upon cultural norms. Otherwise, counter-publics would be heinous evils, yeah, right? this is important. So if you think about, okay, so our culture will say that, not our culture, but people say, sure. especially atheists yeah, say, yeah. that morality is based on cultural standards. Right. Human beings develop these standards of morality. And uh, it it can't be true because um, a guy like Martin Luther King Jr. would have been a horrible human being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If this is true. So the culture's already decided what's moral. Exactly. Based in civil rights. And he comes along and he upends that. Yeah. No way, right? Uh, you think about you know um, the abolition of slavery too. Society already decided what was right on that, and then these people come along that are trying to change that. Mm. Well, we don't view those people as evil. We view them as liberators because they were appealing to something that we all know is right. 
Yeah, because we exactly. all have a conscience and we all know right or wrong. And so we as Christians, like you're saying, need to be mm. bridge builders, not bridge burners and appeal to what people know is right. Yeah, if, if, you, yeah. if you look at somebody, you can find something you agree with them on. Oh, yeah. Even the craziest person, you can find something you agree with them on, and that could be a part of building the bridge. Yeah, and that's what Paul did, right? He yes. saw, he's like, okay, they have this God that they worship that they don't know. Yep. And he's right. like, hey, look, I worship this God that you don't know too, except I know him. Yep. I'm here to tell you about him. Yep. That's the bridge that Paul built with them. He didn't burn it and say, he didn't start off by coming in there and, and like with this message and being like, uh, these pagan gods are horrible and mm -hmm. you need to like, uh, like just completely ignore them. Yeah. And uh, which, which he does get to that eventually, of course, but he's, he's starting off by building a bridge, right? Mm -hmm. He's starting off by showing them, Hey, we have more common ground than you think. And yep. that's what leads them in. That's the key to this. Yeah. You, you have, in order to build bridges, you have to find the common ground. Yes, exactly. Appealing to the conscience of people in order to bring about positive cultural change. Yes. That's what you're doing. That's something that we need to really think about. How do we build bridges with people? Um, in order to enact positive change that is biblical and that yeah, comes from a Christian yeah. worldview and that's helpful for all humanity because it's based in reality. So uh, a really great example of someone who did this back in the day was William Wilberforce. Hmm. You remember, uh, uh, if you've seen the movie Amazing Grace, right? And uh, uh, he, he talks about uh, ab um, sorry, abolishing slavery in Great Britain. Right, that yeah. was his thing. And it took him years and years and actually decades to see it happen. But his methodology was genius. So one of the things that he did was he built bridges with people he had crazy amounts of disagreements with. So mm -hmm. there was this politician at the time in England named Charles Fox. And Charles Fox was like the antithesis. He was like the nemesis of William Wilberforce's best friend, <laughs> politically. Yeah, right. And yeah. the only thing, so they disagreed on everything, on like, like French policies, revolution, I mean, it's all this stuff. And Wilberforce found out that Charles Fox agreed with him that the slave mm. trade should stop. Yeah. That's, and so yeah. based on that one thing, Wilberforce started to make uh, building a bridge with with Fox yeah. and aligning with him in regards to how can we work together across the aisle, even though I disagree with you on everything else, how can we work together to make this happen? Yes. And I think what's great about that is uh, that example in itself is that you apply that to a modern day argument or situation, right? Like mm -hmm. abortion. Uh, if you find common ground with mm -hmm. people who disagree with you, right? Who are pro-choice. And if yeah. you find common ground with them, that's a pathway to where you can build a bridge with them and you can find common ground and connect and eventually get them to trust you and talk to them about the pro-life movement, right? Yeah. That's how you can change people's minds. And this yeah. is with anything. There's right? a lot of ways you can do yeah. it too. You can do it just in one-on-one -on -one conversations, but we could do it better as a group of people. Of course, of course. And so I yes. think like a way you could do it in one-on-one -on -one conversation would be to say, they say, well, listen, I just believe in a woman's right to choose. And you immediately say, I agree that a there woman should have a right to choose. Completely. Bil bridge built. I'm with you. I think that God gave us all free will. There you go. And yeah. I think we should have the ability to choose certain things. I guess our disagreement is I don't think that anyone should have the choice to kill an innocent human being. 
Right. There you and go. So, see, yeah, so, so yeah. You're, you're not coming out hot off of the press, like, ah, oh, just screaming at them. You were saying, oh, no, I agree with that to an extent. Yeah, I can build yeah. a bridge with you on that because I think women should have the choice to vote. I think women should have the choice in who they marry. I think women should have the yes. choice in where they live and what career they want to have, if they want to have kids, if they don't want to have kids. I I think choice is huge. Yeah, and it just, just not see, for that. it clearly helps whenever you find something that you can agree with someone in conversation, yes. if you address it, yep. if you say to them, hey, I agree with you on that. Yes. However, I want you to understand where I'm coming from in this section and like, like yeah, that's where, where that's I disagree where, is exactly this. and yep. so when you do that you're building these bridges where they trust you and they see okay you know what maybe we have a little more in common than I thought yeah well and that's, that's yeah. what Wilberforce did is he built a bridge with somebody he didn't have anything else in common with except for one thing right now one of the things I really like about Wilberforce too is he was very kind to people who opposed him he never made fun of them he never called them names um, a lot of times we'll Human beings revert to name-calling mm. with people who oppose us. I mean, if yeah. you just want examples of this, watch any uh, of the presidential debates that have just <laughs> happened, right? I mean, it's ridiculous yeah. how ad hominem attacks were just coming from all sides, where they were attacking each other's character and uh, families. And you just go, that has nothing to do with policy. Let's talk about the policies, right? So we as Christians should live at peace with all men and build bridges. And one way to burn bridges is by making fun of people. Because right. even if you convince them that your facts are true, even if you convince them that your arguments are solid, but you've been a jerk to them, they're not going to back you. Mm. They're not going that's to help true. you. Yeah, that's just so how it is. we've got to be bridge builders, not bridge burners. Mm. So Wilberforce never made fun of his opponents. The other thing that I really appreciate about him is he let the facts do the arguing for him, not anger or shouting. This kind of goes back to the first point about being a peacemaker, not being a hellraiser. He didn't uh, lead crazy riots. He just, every year, he'd go before parliament and he'd present his argument. Here's the logic. Here's why this makes sense, guys. Here's why I think we need to abolish the slave trade. Mm. And after doing this year after year after year, in 1807, British parliament voted 283 to 16 to abolish the slave trade. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we're not going and we're not taking slaves from Africa anymore. That was awesome, right? But Wilberforce vowed that he wanted to see all slaves in Britain um, emancipated. Yes. We don't, not just that we're not right. going to get more, but we don't have slaves anymore because it is such a heinous evil. So he continued to work until every British slave was emancipated. This took another 26 years. Yeah. That's a long time. And the craziest thing is three days before he died, the British government passed a resolution to emancipate all British slaves. Wow. And, yeah. and it's because he built bridges with people he disagreed with on a ton of stuff, but he found the common ground where they could both work together. And that's amazing, that timing, too. It's almost as if at that moment he's like, you know what? My work in this world is done. Yes. I'm out. Like, and then, yeah. yeah he just, Three days later, he died. And I think it yeah. was like on the day of his death or right before his death that the British Parliament also um, – uh, okayed for him to be buried at Westminster Abbey, which is a huge honor wow, for yeah, British people. Yeah. Um, so fascinating story, but we can learn from him, be a bridge builder, not a bridge burner. And be mm. in it for the long haul. There's a patience aspect to this, right? Like we want immediate results so quick. And you know what? To, yeah. to enact cultural change sometimes takes time. To enact yeah, well, he, relational he change with your friends decades. takes time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we got to be patient. So again, 
We are peacemakers, not hell raisers. We're bridge builders, not bridge burners. Yeah. And let's move on to point number three. Yeah. Point number three is people over perception. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now this is very important. It's uh, we didn't save you know the best like the worst for last year. Like this is very important. This that is you a big deal. We've got to get this concept down. People over perception. Yeah. And now what we mean by that is often Christians more are worried about what people are thinking about them yeah. rather than the heart of the person. In the in general, right? Yeah. And and so there's a lot of examples I could give you of this. Many times, this actually turns into caring about more what other Christians think of you, mm-hmm. rather than being a doer of the word, because you're actually living out of fear. Yeah, we're not so concerned with loving our neighbor. We're more concerned with what my Christian friend thinks about. Me. Yeah, yeah. And now, of course, that doesn't mean that we we shouldn't care about our, how people perceive us as Christians, because mm-hmm. there is still a certain level. I mean, Scripture says that we're to abstain from me, the the appearance of evil, right? Sure. And which you could go back. Uh, we actually did a podcast on that. It was our num- podcast number 28. We did an episode on Halloween and uh, abstaining from the appearance of evil. And we talked about not, what that means. Yeah, yeah, what that means and how you can navigate through that. And so thinking this through, we need to, to be focused, though, more on people yeah. than how the culture perceives us. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and the secular culture or the Christian culture. Yes. Uh, thank you I think for, that's thank really important. That. We need to be more yeah. concerned with people <clears throat> than what people think about us. Well, and I think what's good, I'm glad you again pointed up Christian culture too, because uh, we can actually learn a lot from Jesus in this matter because mm-hmm. he didn't even care what Christian culture thought of him. Yeah. It's not just culture. It's shocking. He didn't really care what people thought about him. Well, it's true. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people know already. I mean, if you ask them like Jesus didn't care what culture thought about, it's like, Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But really when you think about it, he didn't really care about Christian culture thoughts of him either. Yeah. And maybe it was Christian. Maybe it was Jewish. Who knows? Right. Sure. Religious culture. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Jewish culture. And so, What's interesting about that is you see all these examples. I mean, Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors, right? Yeah. Like, like, when was the imagine? last time you hung out with a prostitute? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I've, I don't think I... If you want to ask your <laughs> pastor an interesting question this week, ask him, hey, when was the last time you hung out with a prostitute? Is this a trick question? <clears throat> I can't be seen with a prostitute. What will people think? Oh. Perception is more important than people? No, people should be more important than perception. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. But so yes. often that's how we think. I can't be seen with them. What would people, if somebody saw me <coughs> with that, I've had people sometimes be like, Robbie, I want to talk to you about something important. I saw you, <laughs> I saw you in public the other day and you were hugging this girl that wasn't your wife. I'm like, when was it? And they tell me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was, I was hanging out with my sister. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's okay. It's okay. I'm not Uh, doing anything crazy, right? But there's perception, you know? Yeah. But no, you love people more than you love perception. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. Yeah, and this is a big deal. It is a big deal. Because he didn't care. He cared more about their salvation. He was like, this person needs to be saved. Yeah. And I care more about that than I care about what other, what the church at large thinks about me. Right. Yeah. Well, and people would bring this up to him. Yeah, they, they did. It happened a lot. Or for example, this is a cultural thing too, uh, which we, 
we today might not quite as relate to this, but Jesus even allowed a woman to wipe his feet with her hair. Well, okay, right? when you say it's a cultural thing, what do you mean by that? Yeah, of course. So obviously, you think we this don't... happened all the time? <laughs> well, back then, uh, not really. No. no. Yeah, that's why. I don't think this happens it doesn't a happen lot today now. either. Yeah, yeah. But what I meant by that is back then, especially for a woman to do this, yeah. was crazy. It's like, no, yeah. this is. Like oftentimes maybe you would go and wash your guests feet when they came in to, to visit mm -hmm. you. Right. Like that was considered honoring them, but then for a woman to do it. And then not only that, she used her hair. Yeah. Like that's kind of a, in a cultural sense. It's like, you just don't do that. That's yeah, not, he's a single dude. Yeah. Yeah. She, he's a single guy. This is, yeah, there's, there's a little, uh, again, back at, I don't yeah. think, I don't think she has ulterior <laughs> motives with this. And I know Jesus. Didn't, oh, of course. Yeah. But it looks bad. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks does. sensual. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if dude, when would your wife be cool if another woman started rubbing your feet with her hair? That'd be really weird. No, so, no. man. <laughs> another another question to ask your pastor this week. When was the last time yeah. you let a woman who's not your wife right. rub your feet with her hair? When was the last time you let your wife rub your feet with your hair? That doesn't really happen. Well, she that would often never either. do that. Yeah, either, no. So. Yeah. <laughs> There'd have to be some shampooing and stuff later. But, but yeah, yeah th th what is this? Like uh, th so, again, we're used to these Bible stories, but this is nuts. Yeah, it is. And he didn't care. His <laughs> disciples are even like, "What are you doing?" Remember, Judas gets mad at him. He's like, dude, she wasted all that perfume on you. We could have sold that and fed a whole bunch of homeless people. Like, what? Yeah. And he says, listen, no, she did the right thing. What? It's crazy. Jesus didn't care what the Pharisees thought about him, Sadducees thought about him, his own disciples thought about him. He never cares about people's perceptions of him because he is more uh, he's he's more concerned with loving people than mm. saving his um uh, image, reputation yeah. and his image. Yeah, he's never concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. He never does damage control PR wise. Yeah, right. It's so true. You know, he's not. He's not constantly caught up in that. And so that's important. We are called to be like Jesus, right? And in order to do that, we should care more about people rather than the way that they perceive us. That yeah. culture perceives us, yeah. including Christian culture. Yeah, including Christian culture, because that can be a hang up sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it can. Because because there are. Christians who act terrible. Mm, yeah. And I don't want secular culture to lump me in with those guys. Yeah. You don't want to be like one of those Christians, right? Yeah. Like, like there's, I mean, I've go, gone to, uh, I, I visited Cal Southern California a lot cause I have grandparents out there and mm -hmm. uh, along Huntington beach, I always go down there and I see, uh, those street preachers, right. Sure. That are always yelling at people and like, you're all going to hell. And like, yeah. and, and you know, like <laughs> if you're, that's the thing, if you, constantly think like if you do these things and if you go counterculture, uh, you, you don't want to be afraid of them looping you in with like those kind of Christians, right? Yeah. You need to be focused. Okay. Well, what's important actually? Yeah. Do I want to be labeled with that community? Is that what I care more about? Or do I care more about, uh, other people's lives in their salvation yeah. and loving them, right? Because it can be a two-edged sword. Yeah, yeah, sometimes we don't love people well because we're worried about what it would look like to our religious, legalistic friends. Exactly, yeah. And then sometimes we're, we don't want to love people because I don't want to look like those crazy Christians and be perceived like that from our <laughs> secular yeah. friends. Yeah. We got to get over people's perception. Maybe we should just worry about doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be trying to do damage control 
or our image and keep our reputation as a certain thing, yeah. maybe we should worry about doing the right thing. Yeah. And now, of course, this isn't something that uh, that's always going to be easy. I mean, it's I, not, I have yeah, it's a not hard easy. time doing this myself. And I, like it, it, it comes with prayer. It comes with practice. And it comes with, through a lot of meditation and thinking these things through. It does. One of the verses I like to think about in regard to this mm. uh, is First uh, Peter 2.12. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So think about what he says. You do the right thing. Keep your conduct mm. among the, the Gentiles, the non-believers. Keep your conduct honorable so that even when they speak against you, so that's called perception, gossip, yeah. right? Even when they speak against you, um, they'll see how you actually live. Oh, and yeah, for it, sure. And that will make more of an impact on them than you trying to do damage control with your image. Do the right thing. Don't worry about being perceived the right way. So mm. we have got to be peacemakers, not hell raisers. We've got to be bridge builders, not bridge burners, and we have got to keep people more important than how others perceive us. Yes, there we go. Th these three things, I think, will help us to be very good counterpublics, to impact culture for Christ. And I think we've had a great examples in Patrick and in yeah. William Wilberforce and these people who have actually made a huge dent. So we're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of years later. How can we do it in our culture? And so that's what uh, I, I would like us to think through a little bit is, okay, in our culture, mm. Tyler, how could we be good counterpublics uh, in regards to abortion, in regards to homosexuality, in regards to atheism, transgenderism, Mormonism? Yeah, how right. can we go about being good counterpublics in these areas? Right. That's the question. And we already kind of touched on abortion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's building bridges. Yep. I think that's good. And there's ways you can build bridges with all of these things, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's ways you can find common ground in these discussions. So, yep. so I think that that's super important on these. Um, and then uh, there's other examples of this too, like as far as peacemakers goes, right? Yes. Uh, with uh, homosexuality, I think that's a big one Yeah. Uh, because uh, the, the Christian perception and the cultural perception, uh, like the way people think about you, mm -hmm. uh, it, I think plays a lot into the homosexuality topic, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that that's a big effect. Yeah, so, I don't want people to perceive me as being okay with this yeah. if I'm kind to or meet with people who are homosexual. Right, right. It's, yeah. There's a lot of perception that plays into that. Or, yeah. or on the flip side, you also don't want to... Um, you don't want to uh, like kind of do both ways. You don't want people to perceive that you're okay with it in the mm -hmm. sense that like you're all right with it being ex widely accepted and mm -hmm. acted out by Christians, especially. Yeah. And then on the flip side, you also don't want people to think that you absolutely hate homosexuals. Yeah. You don't, you, yeah. that's where it comes into play because those are the two cultural flips that we see, uh, that perceptions of Christians who engage with the homosexual community have. Mm -hmm. So, so it's like, that's kind of the way that home, that I think culture at large mm -hmm. perceives Christians when it comes to their reactions. Yeah, so how can we blow that perception out of the water by doing the right thing? Right. Now that's the question, question becomes, how do we build a bridge to the homosexual community in order to reach them for Jesus and love them. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can do this, I think. Um, <clears throat> now, I do think it comes down to conviction and to how much time you have and um, what your gifting is and all, all mm. of those things 
fall into play here. Um, but knowing what I know about homosexuality, there's a lot of domestic violence in homosexuality. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, substance abuse within the lesbian community. How cool would it be if churches opened up substance abuse programs? Like, I mean, because we have like, you know, everyone has Celebrate Recovery and AA. There's all of these programs that are run at churches. Yeah. Right. How, 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 why don't we go to the local LGBTQ center, whatever it is, and say, hey, you know, we offer all these programs on substance abuse. And we know that it's not just heterosexuals who struggle with substance abuse. Everybody struggles with it. And we'd love to come and um, offer our services at your facility wow, to yeah. people that you know. That's a great idea. Well, well, this would be awesome, right? Yeah. A anger management classes, counseling yeah. in certain levels. Like a, a way we can say, look, we both see this isn't a good thing for human beings. Mm, so yeah. we offer this service. We'd love to help you with it. And you don't, you don't have to come to our church if that makes people feel weird. We'll come to you. Yeah, yeah. And and then we don't brag about how awesome we are and what a loving church we are. We just do the right thing. Yeah, Not yeah. care about PR and perception. Mm, not yeah. care about showing how, how great we are. And also not caring about people who go, what are you doing with those people? Mm, yeah. I'll tell you what I'm doing with those people. I'm <laughs> loving them because that's what Jesus tells me to do. So I think thinking through this, okay, I want to make peace. I want to build bridges. I want to care about people more than perception. I think these three things can really help us to mm. land on, here's something that I could do. Right. One, one of the things that I, I've done with Mormon missionaries, yeah, because yeah. I think this is a way to build a bridge with them. So because we do apologetics, right? Um, you know, Mormons believe in God, Tyler. What? Yeah, they do. It's true. <laughs> you know this. I thought right? his name was Elohim. Well, yeah, no, it yeah. is. But they believe in yeah. God. <laughs> they are not atheists. True. They believe that God exists. So I taught Mormon missionaries arguments they can use against atheists for the existence of God. Yeah. I walked them yeah. through it. Hey, I want to teach you how to defend your belief that God exists because I believe God exists and I can actually help you when you encounter people who disagree with you. Yeah. They loved it. They're like, this is awesome. Part of it is because Mormons don't really do apologetics. They don't. So they loved having yeah. reasoned arguments as to why God exists and how they could use that to tell people that they should really believe in a God. Yeah, I yeah. built a bridge over a meal with these guys by teaching mm. them and training them as something that was valuable to them so that I could also continue to talk to them about why I right. disagree with certain things they believe and steer them to the truth. Right. So yeah. there's so many different ways I think we could do this individually, but how could we even do it as a church entities in our different places and <laughs> our different cities and different states, building bridges, being peacemakers, caring about people, not perception, um, I don't know. You got any other ideas? How can well, we do this with atheists? How I mean, can we yeah, do this with Muslims? That's exactly what, what I was going to say. Do? I think another great idea, as far as with atheists, um, I think that I'm just saying this not not for uh, like we mentioned before the church culture's perception mm -hmm. of what you've done, but I think that you've done a great job with uh, with Dallas when oh, he came sure. in by by making a connection with him, right? Mm -hmm. YouTube, and then having like solid discussions with him. Yeah, and and he would agree with that too. Like like he's like, hey, we found common ground, yeah. and we like to have discussions about these things and about theology and about like like just philosophy. Yeah, and, and we dis we definitely disagree oh, on certain things. Yeah, and he agree and he dis he would agree that you guys disagree. So yeah. that's the thing. So, but that's how you break those cultural norms where you don't care about people's perception mm -hmm. and you also are building bridges, not burning them. Yeah. Right. Uh, like you got to be loving to people who are in similar, who are in a certain situation 
even though they disagree with you. Yeah. And so that's where I think we can find uh, common ground when it comes to discussions with atheists. Yeah, and that's where um, traction yeah. is needed. Like, I, I, I agree. Like, we have to be peacemakers, b- bridge builders <coughs> with people because you have to earn the right to be heard. Right, yeah. Right? And, and again, be quick to listen. So mm, when was yeah. the last time you, you listened to an atheist talk about why they distrust the church? And again, I'm not saying all their arguments are valid. I'm not saying I agree, but I can listen. Yeah. And I can love them and I can show them that I care about them and that they're not just a project or a convert or a notch on my yeah. belt to get into the church. Like I just care about them as a human being like Jesus did with people. Yeah. I do think that if, if we start to think like this, it actually helps us to go, oh, I can actually make a difference. I'm letting my guard down not to care about what others think. Who who cares? Do the right thing. Don't care about what mm, other people yeah. think, right? And if people lump you in with like ridiculous, cheesy Christianity, okay, I don't want to be lumped in with that. Yeah, right? I, there's some people that I'm so embarrassed of that are Christians and they act like yeah. tools, but I think they're Christians. <laughs> and so they're brothers and sisters in yeah, Christ and they are. Right. And we got to take our weird family with us. It's yeah, just the case. Yeah. So I don't want to be perceived like that, but guess what? Yeah, I'm. They're in the camp. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I also don't want to be perceived as oh, he's just doing all the sinning because he's hanging out with homosexuals and atheists and his friends are no, because those are the people that need Jesus. Like I, I want mm. to go and, and care about them, but uh, I, I want to encourage you, listeners, and and Tyler too. Like we we need to think of how we can do this stuff better. Yeah, yeah. Because just being combative with people we disagree with doesn't necessarily work. Uh, picketing them, riding them, right. raising hell, that doesn't really help. So how can I love people, have them to my house, disagree? You know, we've talked about for, for a while, how can we start an atheist Christian book club? Yeah, where we hang out in a backyard. We've read a Christian book for the month. We get together. We discuss what we liked about it, what we didn't, and then we read an atheist book and we come back together. And we these types of things where we're building bridges and we're building relationships with people. Mm. Kind of like I don't know who's that guy. Oh yeah, Jesus, that was the guy. (laughs) That's the guy. Yeah, who who did that? He did this so well, man. Yeah, he did this so well. You think about how he built bridges with the tax collector community Mm. by asking a tax collector to become one of his disciples. Yeah. Is it great how he built a connection with um, the disciples of John the Baptist by having some of his disciples come in, how he built a uh, bridge with the fishing community of Galilee by yeah, having right, three right. fishermen come. I mean, he's, he's very good at this, right? And then with the zealot community, right, the, the literal revolutionaries of the time, he asked the zealot to be on his team. He was so strategic about how he built bridges with the community of Jews. Mm-hmm. Genius. We need to be smarter about this. We need to be wiser. I often think about that passage where Jesus says that we need to be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm, We need to really rethink our strategy in how we're going about um, telling people about the gospel and and pushing Christian culture and loving people and showing them. And it starts at a a grassroots movement with who are you having over to your house? Yeah. For dinner that you're going to build a relationship with and talk to about these important things. But then how are we as churches literally building connections with the homosexual community, with the atheist community, with, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't it, would it be crazy, Tyler? Would it be crazy for a church and an atheist group in town to work together on uh, feeding the homeless in their city? Both would agree that's a need. They both agree. Now, they have different reasons why it's important, right? This is just let's be good humans and take care of each other. And this is, no, we're we're loving Jesus as we love people. Yeah. 
but they both agree that that's a good thing. Why don't we say, hey, let's join forces on something we agree on? Mm, yeah. It just, it is such a great, great way to start to change culture. So I want to encourage you listeners, how can you do this? How can you encourage your church to do this? What are things that we can actually uh, change by being peacemakers, being bridge builders, and caring about people more than perception? Yeah. Those three things. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, personally, I think that the examples we just gave are solid. I, I feel pretty good about that because I, I could see this working. I mean, I have seen mm-hmm. it working. Yeah. That's the thing. I've seen it working uh, um, in my life through people I know yeah. and through the biblical examples, right? It does work. It works. And <laughs> yeah. that's important. We need to realize <laughs> this works and yes. it works because Jesus did it and it worked, right? Yep. It works because we've seen other examples in culture, in Christian culture, where people are following after Jesus's example and it works, right? It does. So, so I think that it's crucial crucial that we as Christians follow these steps into building these relationships with people, even those we disagree with. Absolutely. That's what we got to be doing. So, hey, go pick up this book, read it. It will blow your mind. Mm -hmm. Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World by Tim Muehlhoff and Richard Langer. It is great. It's by IVP Academic. There'll be links to it in the show notes. Please go read that. But hey, guys, thanks for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Go follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, on uh, Facebook. Be a part of our exclusive Facebook Insiders group if you would like. Um, we love to hear from you. We love to hear what topics you're, you're struggling with, what doubts you have, what things you'd like to see us address on the show. Uh, and uh, we love to hear about that. And then we love to Uh, implement it when we can yes of course if you'd like to leave us a comment please do again thank you so much Kristen, for following up on the homework and then telling us about what you you discovered that was awesome but hey guys we will be back next week which is thanksgiving day that's right turkey day it will come out out on thanksgiving we will have a thanksgiving day podcast yes we after you gorge on turkey and watch the cowboys lose make sure (laughs) sorry i had to say that it's true though they're terrible this year oh it's true make sure that you check out the podcast that weekend maybe on friday instead they're better yeah the cardinals are much better so anyway hey thanks for being with us today on christ culture and coffee we'll catch you next week thanks for listening to christ culture and coffee if you liked this episode please rate review and subscribe to help us reach more people 